0: Welcome to the Experts Speak, a service of the Florida Psychiatric Society. I'm Abby Strauss, and thanks for listening. We are developing a more complex understanding of the effects of climate change on our societies, and so we are obligated to look at all components of our society. One group of those are the homeless. They tend not to get enough attention. The statistics tend to vary, but they are more similar than not, and they suggest that 3.5 million homeless people are in the United States. It's also been estimated that 700,000 kids under the age of 18 experience homelessness every year, and that's without a parent. So it may seem quite the leap for some people that climate change appears to play a causative role in becoming homeless and all the associated issues that come thereafter, their health and their just general living conditions and so on. We need to seriously consider it. It is obviously a complex problem with many variables, but at least it's starting to be discussed. Dr. Basham Iyengar is a family practitioner in Jacksonville, Florida, has worked with these groups and he's kind enough to bring attention to them. Thank you so much for being with us.
1: Thank you for having me on your program. I appreciate it. I'm by no means an expert on these topics, but I do have a strong interest and awareness of these issues. Helping younger your has always been a part of me, but so it kind of crystallized it was from Brookhouse Triad. The conditions of the natural attorneys of the poor and all those things go underneath their jurisdiction. So that really kind of hit me. I like it. That's what we want to hear, and I want to
0: hear your experiences and reflect a little bit about what you wrote in an article. I believe it was in the Orlando Sun Sentinel. Quite good. What brought you to writing an article that talked about homelessness?
1: I've been working with underserved populations for a long period of time, more specifically with the homeless over the past three years. I really felt it was important to discuss these issues with a larger and general audience due to its seriousness and due to its global impact and implications for all of us. On the surface, these two topics might seem very unrelated to each other, but there are places where these seemingly different topics are related. And while many of these topics and their solutions have been germane to more of kind of the academic circles, I felt in my humble opinion it was important to have these ideas in the public sphere. It is to hope with increased awareness, there will be increased engagement and potentially some long-term and systemic solutions.
0: Do you work with sheltered homeless or the unsheltered homeless? They seem to be homeless in many respects, but maybe not exposed to the same extremes. What do you see?
1: I work with both. Individuals who are living on the street, under bridges, living in the woods, as well as those within our shelter system, as well as other shelters. I work with those, those different populations.
0: Is the homeless population growing?
1: It's a complex question. While it seems like on the surface, if you look at the the major statistics, it seems like it's plateauing, and some statistics tend to say it's decreasing chronic homelessness. That means individuals who have been in homelessness for over a year. And there's different other types of homelessness which I think are more on the rise, the transitional homeless and episodic type of homelessness, and I think those are on the rise. I have a tendency to think that with this recent COVID-19, with a lot of changes in people's jobs, different changes in the infrastructure, that people are going to be in the next few months, a few years, are going to be feeling the losses in jobs. We're already seeing unemployment numbers through the roof, and that will subsequently affect people's housing situations and in turn affect the homeless or the, their home status. I applaud you for this type of work, but I'm curious, under what
0: auspices do you do it? Is it a public health clinic? Is it a religious organization? When you reach out to these people, are you part of an organization?
1: Yeah, I'm part of an organization. I'm actually transitioning right now between two organizations. I was the medical director for the homeless shelter that's in town. Now I'm actually going to be working the local residency program, helping to develop the residency program and and their outreach programs, and helping bolster those things.
0: One of my experiences in, in life, when I was in graduate school, I spent a year and a half working at the Men's Shelter in the Bowery in New York City. I remember meeting so many, shall we just say, types of people all weren't just typically lazy homeless people they had mental health issues or they had something else that led them into homelessness if you can summarize it may be too big to do it, but i'll ask why have these people become homeless
1: for a myriad of reasons some people tend to think about this group as this monolithic group that they're all They're doing this by their choice or lack of making proper choices. But there's a whole bunch of different ways and different avenues to, like, end up in homelessness. We could talk about, like, the ability to access resources, having a DUI, drinking under the influence is a core decision, regardless of who you are making those poor decisions are equal between both those two groups of individuals. We know that DUIs happen with people who are very affluent. We know that DUIs happen with people who are not so affluent. But it really kind of changes. The person who's affluent, they may get stuck with the DUI they may have to enter into the legal system, but they probably have access to representation, they have access to other forms of transportation, they have other means and other things to kind of mitigate that poor decision. Where somebody who's on a lower socioeconomic thing, if they lose their license, they're probably entering in the justice system, they're probably having potential to lose their job because they don't have access to work, and those things cascade further down, becoming jobless and homeless, having food insecurity. It's not necessarily like, Some people like to distill it down that people are making poor choices. I think regardless of who you are, we all make poor choices. I think there's some individuals who have access to mitigate those poor choices, and there's other individuals that those poor choices really kind of cascade. And you also have to think about there's other systemic things that are out there. When we talk about medicine, we just know it's not the biomedical model, but we know that there's other types of things that we call the social determinants of health that really play a role in how a person ends up in a certain situation they are. And we know that through health, it's not just getting diabetes. And the way I like to teach my learners and people who I talk with, you think of metaphorically as any kind of disease like diabetes or cancer. It's really an arduous thing. And again, metaphorically, you think about it like a rock or a boulder that you have to push. Those of us who have resources are able to push that rock or that boulder across a flat plane. Now, if you think about the person who doesn't have access to proper health care, doesn't have access to proper food, doesn't have access to proper housing, lower socioeconomics, other like racial and ethnic things, mental health, substance abuse, each one makes that incline of that plane steeper. So it's pushing that big boulder across a flat plane. It's actually pushing it up a big steep hill different ways to kind of think about it. So if you're trying to still to experience homelessness like one group or one thing is probably not really doing them a great service. I think you really have to take each individual. You could probably categorize different people, but it's hard to really just say like, oh, this is one model.
0: I agree with you entirely. And one of the things that you talked about in the article was the impact of climate change that ripples down to folks who don't have all these extra resources and can add to their homelessness. This may sound, as I said at the beginning, to some people to be far-fetched, but it's not. It's actually happening. What are your thoughts about that?
1: Right. So on, on the first glance, you might really feel that these two are very, they don't have much relationship, but... If you're able to connect some dots, you could actually form a good through line to understand why it's in. First of all, make a step back. The current state of homelessness and like our resources related to helping people with homelessness is pretty strained. Safety net is quite fragile. It's quite frayed. It's not nearly adequate enough to sustain whatever people are experiencing with homelessness. And that's the system at its baseline. If you add a stressor to the system, like somebody or a whole group of individuals that suddenly come into homelessness due to some issue with their home, again secondary to an extreme weather event, which we think of was related to the changing in the weather and the changing of the climate, you could definitely see that there's a through line between climate change, not just immediate impact, but you know long term ramifications and how it'll we'll deal with people who are dealing currently with homelessness but also making more people that were probably in a housing stable environment, also becoming its homeless. So it's going to impact both groups
0: of people. You talked about a term called affordable housing crisis multipliers. It's a good concept and it talks about, again, that when you have a crisis, you lose affordable housing. When the hurricanes have hit where you've lived, have you seen this or is it just more of an academic term? Do you see it in its reality?
1: The term itself is an academic term, but the reality of it is far from academic. So definitely, we're seeing just take one step back from that. It's still very, very simply: there's need outstrips availability. We use economic parlance: it's a supply and demand kind of issue. In this case. The need of affordable housing far outweighs the availability of affordable housing now. And an affordable housing crisis multiplier is simply a term, again, I've only also recently become familiar with. And it's a concept, if you look at the affordable housing system, there are going to be certain stressors to that system from a supply and demand standpoint. But any situation that's going to cause more people without housing will be a stressor to that system. So most typically, this is intimately tied with people and their employment situation or status. However, as we take a closer look at this, one could be, you know, related again to people who lose their home or their housing secondary to an extreme weather event. And now, for now in a short period of time in need of housing, and this is a significant stressor to the system, which is already, as we've already stated, already stressed as it is. So we're stressing an already stressed system.
0: One of the problems with the coronavirus concern is that people are losing their jobs. There are talks about people losing their health insurance, not having enough food. But we don't know when it's going to end. It's very different than a hurricane. And so the pressures that you must see on these people has to have a different flavor. Am I correct?
1: A bit, because there's definitely, like, the suddenness that occurs when you have an extreme weather event, whereas this seems to be, like, a much slower build to it. But nonetheless, the effects, I think, at the end of the day are are quite similar. People are still going to be without a home, without housing. If you talk to the people who do social work in this field, they have a very great saying. Housing equals health care. Studies bear that out. The number one thing that I think is like trying to get people into affordable housing, getting them into a shelter, really trying to address and we talk about those hierarchy of needs that Maslow really did a nice job, is really trying to make sure we take care of housing. Food, safety concerns, you know, those are going to be an utmost priority for these individuals. So either way, whether it's, it's an immediate or kind of like a slow burn, like what may be happening with our COVID crisis, each has like the same endpoint that people are going to be ending up without financial resources and in, in a tough place when it comes to their, their housing and their, their home situation.
0: As a physician, you go, you see these people, you help them deal with their medical problems. But I am curious, what do you do? How much can you do to deal with their anxieties and their depressions or perhaps even more severe mental health issues, bipolar disorder, thought disorders, and the like? It must be frightening and frustrating by what you are confronted with at times.
1: Oh, it's it's definitely heartbreaking to see it. There's a lot of different issues that are that are swirling around. And I think the biggest thing is, you know, as a provider, I think is to try and be as empathetic as possible. While we may have a certain view as to what's important, we have to always meet the patient where they're at, and it kind of goes back, to you know, the Maslow's hierarchy of needs. If they're worried about where their next meal is coming from or what, how they're going to get roof over their head they're probably gonna be less engaged in trying to figure out what medicines they have to take for their diabetes and making sure that they're eating appropriately like eating their vegetables and things. So it's really trying to be able to be cognizant of where the patient is at, really kinda of getting a good idea of what they're willing to try and, you know, engage in, why it? why they're here to see you. Sometimes they want everything. Sometimes it's going to be a very kind of directed kind of thing. So we just have to try to do our best to try and meet patients, you know, where they're at and try to understand where they're coming from and what their situations are. And more importantly, is to try and connect them with services probably more important than actually having healthcare, as I alluded to earlier, is actually having them hook up with a social worker. Because if you've ever done or looked at any of these ways to access the the social systems that that we have, these uh, safety nets that we have, they're quite arduous. I consider myself fairly well-educated. And when I look at some of those forms, they're pretty mountainous and Herculean to undertake. And some of them are quite Byzantine. So to really try and navigate that system and that paperwork, definitely takes a special person, it definitely takes, you know, a person who has like a social work background. So even more importantly than the medical aspect of things, having that an ability to get hooked up to the, into the social networks I think is going to be really important.
0: So you are facing at least three, if not more, major issues. You have the issues of living in Florida and the hurricanes and storms, what they do. You have the issue of homelessness, and you have the issue of how this is ultimately, in, in, in so many ways, tied to climate change quite a set of challenges that you face. I applaud you for it. You get a lot of support from the community when you talk to people about climate change being a variable in all of this. Do they believe you? Do they think that this is just an unsubstantiated claim? What sort of reaction do you get as you talk about this?
1: That's a good question. I think sometimes a lot of my conversations tend to be to acquire choir. And I guess that's probably one of like the drivers was to write that article is to try and get the awareness more to a broader audience. Take it from kind of like the people who kind of live and breathe this type of stuff. I think we all kind of tend to like talk and live within our own bubble was trying kind of a mechanism to try and get get outside that bubble once you step outside the bubble I think you could you get people there's some bias there's always like biases that people have for each of those respective topics those big topics of climate change and homelessness we kind of alluded to the you know, some people like think that it's a person's choice and the people are lazy and you have to kind of overcome those barriers as well as on the climate side things people are going to say oh, it's always a hoax it's overblown it's, it, it's not real you have to try and mitigate all the different people have different kind of viewpoints for that. So it's a little bit of an uphill battle, but I mean, I think that that's part of our role to try and help advocate for this. Really, it's such a global and systemic issue that it has to go beyond the academic. Every individual, every citizen needs to be talking about these different topics. Whether they're even able to connect the two of them together, I think each on their own merit. I uh, deserves its own kind of thoughtfulness.
0: Please, don't stop this good work. Basham Iyengar is a family practitioner in the northern part of Florida. He works with the homeless, and he has given some thought to the association of the causes of homelessness related to issues of climate change. Dr. Iyengar, thank you so much for being with us. And again, don't stop this work. It's very important. Thank you, sir. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me.